This episode of the show is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free 30-day trial and free audiobook of your choosing by going to audibletrial.com slash misspots. Choose from over 180,000 different titles, such as Chris Jericho's latest book, No is a Four-Letter Word. It's even narrated by the man himself. Audiobooks are perfect for the person on the move. Believe me, they're great. Maybe you want a mystery novel or a biography of someone you love. Audible has it all. Plus, it's free to try. If you don't like it, which would be weird, cancel and keep your free audiobook that you downloaded forever. Go try it now at audibletrial.com slash misspots. Audible. Listening is the new reading. Hey, Brandy Rhodes. Here's a list of other bullshit angles you can help kill off for us. Roman Reigns and Baron Corbin. The 24-7 Championship. And if you can go back in time and erase every single aspect of the Bobby Lashley and Rusev storyline, that would be great as well. This and other spring cleaning requests coming up on the Miss Bots podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Man, I'm glad that we got through that intro, that cold open with one take. Right, Kev? <laughs> Just one take. <laughs> like all of them. Absolutely. That's that's what we do here. That's what uh, we do. Very professionals. Yes. And like professionals, uh, I will be carrying this entire show because your DVR sucks. Yeah, Mike, the electricity went out in our house for just a moment on Sunday, and I just, you know, a bunch of stuff started flashing and, you know, the normal stuff. Didn't realize that the that I had to reboot the old DVR slash cable box, and on Monday I did not tape Raw, so I did not watch one minute of Raw. In most cases, we would say, oh, you lucked out there, and... Uh, I'm not going to necessarily go against that. I do think that there were some good things about Raw, and uh, I will describe them to you in, in extreme detail and agony. Okay. Um, and we'll see how they play out to you. Okay. Hit uh, me. The, the show started off with in-ring stuff. Uh, or I'm sorry, not people were in the ring, but they were talking. They weren't doing in-ring action. So it started like every other Raw in the last 20-some years? Practically, yes. Okay, cool. Um, cool. Uh, Buddy Murphy has cool. lost his first name again. <laughs> I, I, I saw that somewhere online, and then there was like a wrestling thread that I'm on where they were just taking other... WWE NXT wrestlers and just renaming them. So Bobby Fish became Fish. <laughs> and they were just doing this and it was it was pretty funny. Like this isn't the first time that this has happened to Buddy Murphy, too. Re- Cuz remember during the uh uh what was it? Um uh, 
why can't I think what uh, his tag team partner that they were the tag team champions uh, uh, back in NXT? Yeah, uh, Buddy Murphy and oh my god, I can't. I'm drawing a blank as well. He's one of the fortunate sons now. Oh, God. Forgotten damn. sons. Forgotten sons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking of uh, Creedence the, songs. Yeah. The fortunate sons are just really, really big Creedence fans. <laughs> it's a different, that's a whole different faction. They're uh, in a, NXT. They just don't get a lot of play. Uh, yeah. I, I think that I find it so funny that. I just imagine a bunch of people in the in the WWE writers' room sitting around going, "You know what? You know what's really holding this guy back? Two names. If this guy had one name, he would be Golden Man. Like this is the problem with this guy is that he's got his his name's Buddy Murphy. If he was Murphy, he, Buddy Murphy, Mid Carter, Murphy, Blake and Murphy. That's it. Blake. Wesley Blake. Wesley Blake. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> I know you had a, you looked that up while I was ranting. I definitely but did. I, I just I I just think it's such it's so hilarious to me. That's what they're worried about. Why haven't they done this to Roman? Why isn't it just Roman and uh, Rollins? Why isn't it Rollins? Why isn't it Seth? Why wasn't it? Why wasn't Dean Ambrose just Dean? Why I I just I don't I would love to if I think if I had the opportunity to interview someone in the WWE that would have the answer to this. That might be my biggest question, and it wouldn't even be in a mocking way. I just want to understand the mentality there. There's also uh, a bunch of people are saying, well, it's worked. it worked so well with Cesaro and Rusev and Neville. Like You're only saying that retroactively because you got used to the names. Yeah. It and would be no... Did it really? Because they're all still kind of... Like, KO won the Universal title, uh, or no, he has nothing to do with this. What am I fucking talking about? I'm <laughs> uh, no, I'm still reading. <laughs> good, I'm reading the point. show recap. His uh, name was Kevin Owens, yeah. and it still is. But, <laughs> but, I, but like Cesaro, Rusev, and Neville, no one has ever gotten above slightly upper mid card. Yeah, but even then, it's. I still think Adrian Neville was a much better name. I think that uh, Alexander Rusev is a fine name. I think what it is is you just get used to it, and then you go, oh, yeah, that was a good choice, but it doesn't have any real real effect whatsoever. Anywho, what were you talking about for the opening segment, which was most likely just a boring, rambling promo? There was there was some boring, rambling stuff at the beginning, but then, you know, KO came out with the Viking Raiders. Oh, the Vikings? At, uh, yes, the Viking experience, and uh, was just like, you know what? I you talk too much. Let's just fight. And they went down to the ring, and Samoa Joe jumped jumped in from behind and helped them out, uh, which was a nice way to introduce Joe back in. And I kind of dug how Ko was just like, "Let's not do this talking bullshit. Let's just fight." And and with Joe just coming from out of nowhere to help them out, I really enjoyed that. Um, see the things that you enjoyed, I can appreciate, but this sounds like every single segment involving these people for the past six weeks. For sure. Yeah. KO coming down and interrupting a promo from them and saying we should fight or KO being in the ring and them interrupting a pro. This is, this is, this is completely repetitive. Yeah. This seems stuck in neutral to like the nth degree. 
Yeah. And I didn't watch it, so maybe there was some. It was a little bit better than what it sounds like on paper, but this angle still seems to be going absolutely nowhere. Just take number fourteen out of doing this worked for me, I okay. guess. Okay. Um, the weird thing was at the very end, as all four baby faces stood in the middle of the ring, Becky Lynch's music hit to interrupt them to go into her match with Oscar. And they all looked like, okay, why is this going on? For no reason other than just a baby face interrupting other baby faces. But they weren't really interrupting it. There was the, uh, there's, I'm guessing I didn't see it. It was the WWE has done this a lot in the past couple of years, and you always point this out. It always frustrates you. But yeah, their their segment was over, and those guys should be getting out of the ring. So they were they kept the show going. I actually think that this makes a lot of sense. It's actually a very logical thing for me. Is that yeah, we got a we got a match, guys. <laughs> Get the fuck out of the ring. It's like being played off for the Oscars, you know. I, I guess so. I, I guess that makes a little sense. Yeah, but I, then I, I, I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't mind it at all. We did get a very good Becky and Oscar match. Um, I liked this more than the uh, the match uh, from uh, Royal Rumble, and uh, then we had afterwards Shayna Baszler attack Becky Lynch. And I was like, yeah, this is this is something I can get behind. We're going to build up to Shayna versus Becky for Mania. Shit, yeah. Until Shayna started biting at Becky's neck and came up with blood in her mouth. And I'm like, oh, so, sh- oh, okay, this is weird to say the least well i mean you have you've heard the rumors that gangrel is going to be her manager in the wwe right on the main roster i must have missed that part of the (laughs) dirt sheets i uh, i i read about this and i saw some stills from it and it it seemed a little hokey i I don't know that Shayna baszler needs to be a vampire She's a pretty legit badass just with being a wrestler. But if they're trying to up the stakes, this is one of those things where once I, I'm trying to be not too critical because I have not seen this, right? You you did, and, and it might have come off better on TV. But if you're going to build a WrestleMania match off of this, we're in February. We got a couple months to go. Shayna Baszler biting into someone's it was neck right yeah the back Bite, of the neck biting into someone's neck and coming up like a vampire if you really want to do that spot it because it's vicious and it's different okay maybe not the first time out maybe save that for a for a, for a couple weeks before mania when the when the feud kind of if you start here the next do you remember did you ever see Hannibal the TV show? The well, the the or movie. The movie. Uh, no, not the movie. When uh, you know Hannibal Lecter fries a piece of Ray Liotta's brain. No. No. Anyway, lost on you. Uh, <laughs> think about what I just said. I don't know how much you can go up from there if you have someone basically biting into someone's esophagus and drinking their blood. I don't know if you can get much more vicious than that. And then if you have your entire feud goes downhill from there with 
less viciousness, I don't think it builds very well. Like, so. I know that they're not going for vampire or zombie or anything like that. Like, she's not meant to be drinking the I, blood. I, I know, man. I know. But, like, they, they could, like, she could have just kept the Karamuda clutch on and, like, just knocked Becky out. Uh, she, they, if they wanted to put blood in there, they could have had, like, her bust, uh, bust uh, Becky open like she's a former MMA fighter like she could have gotten a couple good shots in there and and had her uh, draw blood that way just biting the back of the neck just was a weird weird thing it, it just seems strange and I and I wonder where you go from there and how you continue to up the stakes when you when you start at such a bizarre spot but uh Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. Yes, please. We talked about this when they built this match at the Bullshit Survivor Series and how much we wanted to see this, but without having Bailey involved. And it looks like they're going to give it to us. And I think that it's going to be really, really interesting to see if they look to make a new star in Shayna or they look to really cement Becky as something really special by having her beat Shayna Baszler. I think there's a couple ways to go with them. Yeah. And both ways could be really good. Yeah. Uh, either way you go could, if done right, establish both people in solid positions. Um, so, so MVP had a VIP lounge who... I even do not remember this talk show segment from that era of WWE with Drew McIntyre, which, first of all, Drew had to knock over a velvet rope because the doormen did not have Drew's name on the list, despite that MVP invited him onto the show. So that, to me, just says that MVP is a terrible club owner. That he can't manage his own guest list properly. And Drew pretty much let that come across later on when he eventually Claymore kicks MVP for talking shit. I didn't care for this segment. It was more this, like... I, I get that they want to kind of create this... Give us some character to McIntyre. Give us like some personality. And I don't think that this is the type of personality that Drew McIntyre needs. And this has been something that I've complained about in the past. Is his too much playing to the crowd. Too much with shenanigans like this. He can be a no-nonsense, badass baby face and not have to do any of this shtick. And still be an over baby face. I agree. And I, I did. Uh, I mean, how many times am I going to say this on this episode? I didn't see it. So I, I really can't have any. I have no input on that. It doesn't sound good. I, I don't. I'm not a person that has any reminiscence on MVP in a positive way. So having this means nothing to me. And I also agree with you that they're trying a little too hard with Drew McIntyre. And I don't think you need to try that hard with a guy who looks like that, who, when he is just cutting badass promos, is really good at them. Just really good. So I think they're just trying a little bit too hard. Yeah. Um, 
So Angel Garza is a man's man. That's what Selena Vega uh, claimed him as. He comes out. Steven Regal? Yes. Yeah, he came out in the, you know, the flannel and the axe (laughs) uh, and all. He's a man, (laughs) such a man. Go ahead. Uh, And he then claims he's a man's man. He also is a ladies' man because no woman can resist him. We have two just generic fucking terms for this one guy now. And this is what we're going to be giving. Like, Angel Garza, guy, he's got, got talent. And we're just going to throw him out there and be like, this guy's a man's man, He's a, but he's also a ladies' man. Well, next he, week he's going to be a person's person. Yeah. Um, also, Angel Garza doesn't take his pants off until well after three quarters of the match to go but into his trunks. That's kind of his gimmick. Is it? Yep. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because I realized that last week, and then right before the he hit his finisher, he did that uh, in this match with Cedric Alexander. But, okay. I guess if, if that's his thing... That's his thing. Um, Randy Orton came out to. I, I don't want to interrupt you and go too okay. far into this, but I heard that the crowd was pretty into into Garza in this match or this segment. Did you get that feeling? I didn't. Did not get that feeling. Okay. That, that, I, I mean, I could be wrong. I heard from what I'm what I'm recalling. I don't re- remember that. Okay. Um, Randy Orton came out to finally try to explain himself, but of course, before he can explain himself, uh, Matt Hardy comes out to demand that he explain himself. Uh, (laughs) It's like, all right, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to do a thing. Someone comes out and says, I demand that you tell me the thing that you were coming out here to tell me, tell everyone, uh, but only tell me makes sense and it it was just a little it was playing to the history like between him and edge like we've had a bad history but we became friends and what you did was terrible and uh, of course you know this all led to him randy beating up matt and it was just i i know what they were trying to do here but it was a weird roundabout way to get there that was unnecessary. Like, you could have had Randy explain himself and have Matt come out and be like, you know what? I I don't appreciate what you did to, to Edge, and you know what? I'm going to go out of my way to try to stick up for a person who I now, even though I've had issues, I now consider a friend, and going out on his own and doing that. But yeah, just... Don't have him come out and demand an answer for something that Randy's already said that he's going to come out and do. You know, one of the things that we see in AEW that we, I think both of us like, is the fact that they keep talking segments often to a minimum. And when they do them, wait, and when they do longer ones, they tend to not be great. I mean, they've had some uh, some gems with, with Cody and MJF and stuff, but... For the most part, when they keep things short and sweet, it's bet they have better segments. 
And when I'm trying to nail down why I like that show better, a lot of times it comes down to it. It's a little more straightforward. It's a little bit simpler. And people are really only talking when they have something to say. The Mm -hmm. WWE is the antithesis of that. People go out and talk when they have nothing to say. And this is a perfect example of it as you're explaining it, where it seems to me like Randy, did Randy ever explain himself? No. Okay. So I I feels like Randy coming out and said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to explain myself to you people. And then having Matt come out and and cut a very quick promo, lead to a match, and then have Randy beat him down seems like a really smart thing to do. This sounds like this was way overdone, overscripted, and too long. And that's what makes these shows drag so much. (laughs) I'd rather have five extra minutes of really good in-ring action or actual character development with with genuine backstage interviews or vignettes or whatever you might have than this stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Like, Randy legitimately was like, I owe everyone an explanation, and Matt Hardy's music hit. (laughs) I was like, all right. Like, uh, you're you're dead right. Like, this could have been oriented in such a way that it made sense got us a little bit more action like true action but yeah they just completely fucked that up the wwe needs what i've what i'm dubbing now and i've asked for this before a y director they need somebody to just sit in the corner and when someone's pitching ideas just raise their hand and go why why is matt coming out to interrupt randy in the middle of him saying the thing that Matt wants to hear. And then everyone looks at each other and goes, oh, we're fucking idiots. He shouldn't do that. They should do this instead. The Y director strikes again. Um, j- just in case you were wondering, Kevin, because we have another uh, Saudi show coming up. Oh, we do. There, That's right. There is a new ridiculous trophy. Uh, it is the Ty Wake Trophy, and it will be given to the winner of a gauntlet match. Cool. Yep. Uh, moving on. Uh, we just had a, you know, an eight-man tag match to uh, finish this off with uh, Seth Murphy and the AOP against Kevin Owens, Samojo, and Vikings. And uh, bad guys win because of shenanigans. And, uh, yeah, that was raw. What were the parts of the show that you liked? Uh, I liked the opening segment uh, with uh, those parties. I liked the Becky and Asuka match. I liked everything post beatdown prior to neck biting. And... Even though I didn't mention it, uh, I just liked uh, Rhea Ripley beating up Sarah Logan. That was about it. Oh, yeah. What's going on? So did Ripley just show up on on Raw? Yes. And uh, Charlotte uh, watched the match but did not uh, say anything to her. And uh, that was it. I'm going to assume that Charlotte will show up uh, post-title match at... NXT TakeOver and uh, 
formally accept the challenge at that point. Gotcha. That's just what I saw. I left out a bunch of a bunch of filler. Alistair Black kicked uh, Kira Tozawa, and there was a twenty four seven thing. And oh yeah, uh, Riddick Moss turned on Mojo. So, so a guy that, that like three weeks, the guy that nobody in the crowd knows whatsoever, turned on the guy that he was introduced as protecting before anybody knew who or what their relationship or why he was there. Exactly. Sounds like great storytelling, guys. Way to go. (laughs) Where's the Y director? So you want to talk about AEW instead? I would love to. I I enjoyed the show. I did too. I thought, you know, one of the things I, I, I saw, and these are, it's the little things, right, Mike? We always talk about the little things. Yes. I'm not sure how Raw was structured this week, but I know over the last couple of weeks, we started the show knowing three or four matches we were going to have. We were seeing less of, hey, why don't we all fight right now? We were seeing a little bit less of that. Not, It's not excise at all from the WWE, but I, I believe that they were doing a little more booking. AEW not only does that, but goes the extra step. We are looking two, three, four weeks down the road for mm-hmm. AEW Dynamite, and we're seeing what matches we're going to have. We know we're going to see Wardlow and Cody next week in a cage. And we've we know, known that for a month. And we, Yeah, we've known that for a month. We knew that we were going to see the, the strap segment with MJF last week, weeks in advance. We now know we're going to have another tag title match next week. We know that we're going to have the week after that uh, Pac and Omega fight. We're, we're setting the table almost like these are pay-per-view. They're not quite yeah. pay-per-view, but they're they're set up to be events that we are going to sit and go, oh, you know what? I can't wait to tune in on Monday to see this tag match and to see this women's championship match, which we knew about last week. And it works so well to make it this kind of like destination uh, television, television. You know, we we have to we have to get there. We have to watch it because it's going to be exciting and there's something actually going on. And I felt like there was a vibe around the show because of the two championship matches and billboarding uh, Moxley and Santana. There was just a lot to sink your teeth into before the show even started, and they're doing a great job of all that. They are making their shows uh, can't miss, or if if you do miss you are going to know what it is that you're missing out on. Like, if if you and I were to just go out and have dinner on a Monday night with some, some friends or, or something, someone would likely go to us, hey, isn't Raw on tonight? What, what are you guys missing? We'd be like, I don't know. Because we never know what the hell the show has booked ahead of time. Where if we were to do that on a Wednesday, we could probably name two to three matches like, oh, we're missing this match, this match, and this match because we were told that last week. And they are truly just building the anticipation of these matches just like a television show does when they give you the little teaser the week or right after the episode, like, here's what's coming up on next week's episode. Like, this is the way that television is supposed to work. This is the way that wrestling really should work. 
And they're doing a great job of combining those two aspects, crazy, I know, and making it to where people really are excited for each week of this because they know what's coming and they're anticipating it. And and there also feels like at least one match every single episode of Dynamite has some kind of purpose or or downstream effects on other things. So let's uh let's go ahead and, and, and get into it, Mike. Yeah, and we kicked off with the tag team championship match. Um I, I thought a good banger between Omega Hangman and uh SCU. Um just I thought good action here and there, there was uh, this was an AEW tag match. Yeah. So it had two or three spots where everything broke down. Yeah. And the whole match should have been thrown out because it wasn't necessary because there there's so much talent in that ring. <laughs> and they don't have to have these segments where everything breaks down and we don't know who the legal man is. And it's just chaos. They don't really have to do it. There's enough talent where we don't need to lean on that crutch. I can see like an indie show with a bunch of people we don't know that aren't very good having to lean on this. But when you've got the guys of this caliber, I, I just I cannot understand why they do that. But anyway, the crowd loves Hangman Page. This guy yep. has had such a journey from when he was basically, from what I understand, kind of one of the chosen ones in the early going, but in the pre-AEW pay-per-views, kind of, sort of got lost in the shuffle because people weren't feeling him as, like, a, a future champion. And this character that he's playing now is getting over and getting over hard. I don't like the the aspect of... He has an alcohol problem, which yeah. the Bucks, which the Bucks, uh, kind of alluded to the week before. I think, to me, him grabbing a beer on the ringside and having a cocktail here and there shows more of his uh, casualness. Shows more of his kind of yeah, I I don't I I can do this because I'm that good. Yeah. I don't think it should be played off as alcoholism. I don't think it should be played off as him being drunk and not up to, uh, able to do his job. I don't want to see last call Scott Hall, right? Yeah. And I hope they don't go down that road because what they're doing gives him this. I mean, I know we always come back to this, and it's just because it's a cultural touchstone, but that gives him that kind of Steve Austin badass nature, right? And I think that's one of the things the crowd has got behind. I liked SCU kind of being a little bit heelish here, saying we got to get our titles back kind of by any means necessary. I liked a lot of aspects of this match. The action was good, and it was in the right. But at at one point in the middle of this match, I'm like, oh, are they going to switch the titles back over to SCU? Because... SCU has a thing going on with the Dark Order, and maybe the titles don't need to be involved in Omega and Hangman and the Bucks. Maybe that could happen away from the championships. So they even got me kind of second-guessing myself, but at the end of the day, the right people won, and we're continuing this this, this storyline, and there were no miscues. There were yeah. no miscues between these two. We don't need to see that every week. It should be a simmer. Right, a slow simmer, and they're doing a great job of that. This week was good. Next week will be bad. That's the way it should be. 
I feel like they maybe tried to play off the uh, when Kenny went to do the tag, but uh, Hangman was laid out on the outside. Oh like, yeah, the, but but the commentary covered for it by saying like, "Oh no, he is legitimately hurt." And and they um, referenced it, and these are the yeah. things that that you do to slowly bring all this together. Yeah. And uh, I gotta say, when when timed as precisely as they did in this match, that V trigger buckshot combo looks devastating. Oh yeah, their their tag team moves are are fun. I, I like these guys together. I really yeah. do. I, I and that's what's going to make it that much worse for everyone when when it explodes. That that's what we want to see. Yeah. If they weren't doing this tandem stuff, if they there and there's several instances in, in the spots they do in their matches that are tag team moves that if they didn't do them, we'd be less invested in them as a team. It's 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 really really good match layout and booking. Mhm. We had a couple uh se- vignette segments at this point. We had a little interview type segment with JR and Santana that I really liked and it did you yeah I I kind of I'm like yeah it's a little baby face of sorts it was totally baby face what did that have to do with what they were talking about I don't (laughs) okay you just said you really liked it I guess I guess I I guess maybe it's a heartstring type of thing okay uh that it's just like it's it gives sympathy but yeah I guess you don't Sympathy to who? To the bad guy who just tried to blind you? You know what? Yeah, you're convincing me that. But maybe that's a thing that a delusional babyface heel group will do is try to gain sympathy for something that happened. But maybe, maybe you don't need to bring in real life stuff. But it, it, it just, it seemed honestly to me, it seemed like if, if I'm guessing. From the way that they talked about this, this is a real life thing that Santana went through. And it seemed like they said, well, we've got this in the bag. This is a real thing. And we have to utilize this in the story. It's about blindness and his father was blind. If this is all true, it seems like they said, well, how can we not use this? And the answer is because it makes absolutely zero sense in the context of the story you're telling. If you want to tell a story about how these guys have worked their asses off and they're and they're talented, skilled, uh, skilled people who have kind of turned to the dark side, you can tell that story too. But this seemed—I I just didn't get this. I didn't get anything about this. It seemed like they were trying to do Mankind and Jim Ross from '96 or '97 or whatever it was. And they were doing it in the middle of a wrestling ring in with no context to the story itself. I don't know. It, this was very weird to me. Uh, I, I, yeah, I can see what you mean there. Um, I, I think that maybe just the sympathetical thing got across to me. Um, sure. And as a, a human, it, things like that can. Um, and maybe I just looked into it a little too much. Uh, everything that you said made absolute sense hearing it in retrospect um and if they were doing it to be like this cheesy um 
hey, we're the heel. You should feel sorry for us. Just like like Jericho saying, how can you do this to him? This is his livelihood. Like that is completely ridiculous because he did the same exact thing. That it would make sense, but I it's, I don't you don't need to bring a real life scenario into yeah, that. Yeah. It's it's better for him to to be furious and to want revenge and Ross to say and just to say you just did the same thing to him. I mean, the end of that part was good, but I think a lot of that could have been. I, I don't think we needed the pre tape. I think we could have got all this accomplished without it. Mm-hmm. This is what a, a really skilled backstage interviewers should be able to do this is aew one thing oh sorry i'm sorry excuse me one thing that aew has not done which would be great is develop a great backstage interviewer and we've had shivani doing interviews but we need a mean gene yeah, we we need somebody that the people trust and and like and want to see that has some quirks and some interest to them, that can have these quick one off things and get across the point. Yeah, and, and I feel like we've seen three or four different people ba- doing backstage interviews, so there's no real consistency in that face either. And they're doing this very similar to WWE with uh, attractive women who we don't really know, and they're on kind of. I think that's another thing that the AEW should look into because the the great backstage interviews are what professional wrestling is built on. TV for pro wrestling is built off those personalities and those people, and it's something that they're trying to do with Shivani, and I I give them credit for it. I like that, but there should be a little more of the backstage stuff, and I and I would I would like that a lot. Yeah. So what did you think of uh, the Darby Allen video kind of playing off of what Sammy Guevara does during commercial breaks as a way of challenging him to a match? Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Perfect. Spot on. Yeah. I I, I thought that that was simple, easy, got the point across. Yep. Very well done. Uh, and, and it's been it's picking up on something that happened weeks ago. There's a real mm-hmm. issue about it. It didn't have to have a tag match on this show to push it. This is how good storylines should evolve. Yeah. And then speaking of evolution of storylines, Dustin Rhodes beating uh, said Sammy Guevara uh, and then laying out the challenge to Hager after the match for Revolution. Uh, I thought that this was pretty well done as well. I liked it, but when this match started, I said, didn't we just see this match, like, a couple weeks ago? Did we? Yeah, uh, Hager, and, I'm sorry, uh, Guevara and uh, and Dustin fought on the first episode of the year of AEW Dynamite. They talked about it, actually, during on commentary during oh, really? the okay. episode. I forgot about that. Yeah, and I believe that Guevara won with Hager's interference. I think... I would have liked this better if we would have heard them say, you know, uh, Dustin demanded this match because of what happened. It, to me, it felt like a retread. I thought I was, I was like, why am I seeing this again? Because I didn't rem- even remember what the finish was in that. Because this is a this is a simmering feud that happened because of the breaking of the arm, and that's all really really good stuff. But they've kind of dropped it and picked it up, and then dropped it for three more weeks and picked it up. This is one of those that could have used a little more TV time, a little more talking about it, and we didn't really get it. 
by the end of the match, I was into it. I liked what Dustin did on the mic afterwards. I liked the fact that he called out Hager and said, are you ever going to step in the fucking ring? Yeah. I liked all that. And Guevara is the perfect fall guy. He is not hurt at all by, by losing this match. So I did like the end result, but I think they could have gotten there a little more skillfully so that I didn't feel like, oh, they're fucking doing this match again because that's how I felt. Yeah, that, that that's true. I mean, it could have been with Ortiz and gotten the same effect, right? A different member of... Uh... Well, what, what I'm saying is that if even if they just... They would have said, listen, this match happened five weeks ago on AEW TV and Hager got involved and Dustin's been trying to get this match booked on Dynamite one-on-one for for weeks now and he's finally got his chance to... I just think they could have told that story with those exact same guys. I think they could have told that story better. And they just... It seemed like they were like... You can't take three weeks off, four weeks off of a feud and then just pick it up and and not give us a little bit of info on it. I think you take one week off and I like when they do it, but I think it was a little too much time between. Yeah. Maybe nitpicking, but that's how I felt. I get you. Um, Britt Baker had some opportunity on the microphone. (sighs) My God. This poor woman. I I I feel like she has so much potential and does interesting things one week and then is just unwatchable the next. This was so, an un, this was unwatchable. This was an unwatchable thing to you. This was terrible. <laughs> that the biggest uh, the biggest heat that of the entire night was her just bringing up Whataburger. And you know what? I, when it first happened, I said, oh, this got booze. And what you really need is you just need booze. You need someone to hate you because the people that are watching on TV, they're going to remember that everyone hates this person and they're going to go out and boo them next time they see him when they come to your town. That's what it comes down to. But then when you get a chant of Whataburger in the <laughs> arena, you've kind of lost your point, Right. They, <laughs> I don't know. I, I keep talking about the fact that Tony Schiavone works at Starbucks. I still don't get it. Did, did Tony Schiavone yeah, I, actually work at a Starbucks? I don't. I don't know either. He was uh, the lead announcer for WCW when they were giving out millions and millions of dollars for no reason. I bet you he did well. He's been a professional sports commentator ever since then. I don't. I, I don't understand. I don't understand what they're doing. And it doesn't seem to be rooted in reality in any way, shape, or form. I I find her just very wooden. And every now and then she shows flashes, but this was not one of those flashes. Maybe you should ask uh, the wrestling history guy on YouTube to research that and do a video on why Shivani is Mr. Starbucks. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'm sure <laughs> within like three days, it'll, it'll be like a wonderfully done video. <laughs> Um, but then my, one of my favorite matches of all of AEW, I'm going to say, was this women's championship match, Nyla Rose and Riho. I am really surprised to hear you say that. I really enjoyed this match, especially the last, what, three minutes, that like final segment of, of, of that final sequence. I loved every minute of that. 
it was really good. I found myself very invested in this, but the build up to it, there was times I, I hated the table spot at the start of the match. I was like, what are you doing? Stop doing this. It's not necessary. That table spot added nothing. You didn't like when Riho ran across the table? No, because why is Nyla Rose grabbing a table? She's in a fucking title match. She's a heel. She's She makes terrible decisions. No, like, but then you're, you're not a good competitor. You're an idiot. Like, you have no right to be a champion, and I don't believe you as a champion if you're going to jeopardize your shot by trying to put someone through a table in a title match. I, I hate that with a passion on dying, and her running across the table was cute. Save that for a time would actually make sense within the context of a match. I, I hated that. I, I and, that. And I also found, found that Riho just, she falls all the time. She, <laughs> there are so many times in a match where she looks completely uncoordinated. If she had a last name, she would be Riho falls all the time last name. <laughs> I, I, it just the start of this match, the first half of this match, I found myself going, man, this is going to be another Riho match where I'm just not into it. And the last half of the match was incredible. It was great. The crowd was into it. They were doing counters. There was all kinds of great stuff going on. I liked the story they were telling in the ring. I found myself going, you know, I want Riho to retain here. And I really want Nyla, I want Nyla to try to cheat and get caught. And I want it to be a DQ and I want to see this match at the pay-per-view. And then maybe see Nyla go over. And the fact that they pulled the trigger and gave Nyla the championship, I was surprised by it. I enjoyed it. I did enjoy this match. I enjoyed the segment overall. But I just, there's these little holes in Riho that I just, they, they make me... They make me nutty. Trust me, I'm I'm right there with you. I've I have not been a fan of her practically since day one. Like she, her mannerisms are weird. Her selling is is weird as well at times. Like it, it almost doesn't seem like she's actually selling. Uh, like I don't. Her facial. Of, features when she's when she's hit by something don't come across as painful it, it just seems like she's going through the motions sometimes and and there were early parts of that going on in this match but i just felt like things came together very quickly and we got into one upsmanship at at one point and the all the counters uh, and just that closing sequence I loved her hitting the stomp, two count, or one count rather, then hitting the stomp again, then going up and hitting the stomp to the face and getting a rope break. I, like, I thought that that was going to be the end of the match because that was a very Japanese, like, strong style thing. Like, okay, I didn't, I didn't get them with my finisher this one time. I'm now going to hit it two times in a row to try to kill them. And... I thought that was it right there, and it, it wasn't. And, I, like, she sold me a little bit more on herself during this match. I'm still not 100% sold on Riho. I like Nyla Rose for what what she 
has shown me thus far. And but just this match just kind of clicked to me, and I thought that they put on a good show. Listen, they got me by the end, and I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you on it. I just I, when you when you talked about it being like your favorite match in AEW, I'm not gonna go that far. I think that the that the last half of it and the crowd interaction and the and the the countering and everything you said about it worked really really well. Yeah, I, I like. It, it may not have been like the best uh, match, but man, they they got me involved. Uh, I had a good time watching it, and it, maybe I'm just spacing on something else. But like, it's felt like a little while since I have gotten that emotionally. Uh, invested into a match and and felt like oh yeah like the the getting pops for the near falls out of me uh on a especially on a tv match was 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 fun to watch um yeah i I'm, i'm glad to hear it then we had the 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 mjf jungle boy match this was a really good match too uh, like I, I, I thought that the we had good technical match, uh, a good technical match here. Um, as we alluded to earlier, Brandy on commentary bugged me out because I did not know that they had killed off the Nightmare Collective storyline on YouTube or social media or whatever they did with that. So it was just very weird to hear her. Uh, talking down on the heel for heel tactics when she has been a a heel for a month or two now. But beyond that, I thought this was a fun little match. Yeah, I I thought it was a good match too. And it got the, and it advanced the storyline. Yeah, I I thought it went over. I I think I thought I did a good job of this. There's some some burning things under the surface here. I found Brandy to be completely wooden on the microphone. And the one thing about the Nightmare Collective, it wasn't good, but she was not terrible talking. This did not come off great. Yeah, I, I can see what you mean there. Like a lot of the the stuff that she said was just reactions to what was going on and it was just simple things. Uh didn't really add much to it. Uh no, it did not. It. Like when when they asked her like, oh, what was it like watching having to watch that again with your husband being sh- like hit with a strap? Like like what do you expect? You're like, oh that was bad. And she kinda did go, Oh, that was bad. Like in such a nonchalant way. But Yeah. But nonetheless, I thought like MJF is great at playing off of all of that, and and, and Jungle Boy is a a skilled skilled dude that uh like when Jr. says that that guy has a bright future, like sometimes when Jr. talks up someone, it comes across a little artificial. I I believe it with this guy. Like he put if he can put on a few uh, pounds, like. This guy could be something because he's got I, a great look and a great skill set. I agree. And then uh, the the main event was Moxley and Santana, uh, practically just like a brawl of uh, two guys fighting each with one eye. Like 
how they both got medically cleared, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I think the big thing at uh, built around this, it was it was previewed earlier and then came about again at the end is Jeff Cobb, uh, the the big free agent, if you will, in pro wrestling. Uh, was announced to be fighting Moxley next week. He showed up at the end to lay a little bit more of a beat down on uh, on Moxley. Um, are are you familiar at all with Jeff Cobb? No fucking clue. Okay, dude's good. And when Jr. was talking about like the the comparisons to Doctor Death, there's some of that there for sure. But where, with where has he wrestled before? Ring of Honor, New Japan, uh, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, practically all over the world, uh, except for WWE. And he's always wrestled as Jeff Cobb? Yep. Okay. Um, but, like, dude's got got agility as a big man, lots of power. Um, be interesting to see if he sticks around for a little while because he has always kind of been this like almost Bruiser Brody type of guy who just uh, goes where the money is and uh, travels around and doesn't stick around in one place for too long. So we'll see uh, what they do with him in that that sense. Well, I mean, with the closing, uh, they made it sound on commentary like he is, he joined, you know, the inner circle. And I don't know if that's they kind of just... talked about him being like a gun for hire. They did, uh, but they, they but I, I the, one of the closing lines, and I don't know who said it, was that with him in the inner circle, they're unstoppable or whatever. And I didn't take that to mean he had, but I, I it, it seemed like some kind of insinuation or I don't know. I, I got the feeling that he might be sticking around and this might be a new member for them. And uh, it, the one thing I did like about it. What what frustrates me is that Jericho, in his little backstage interview, says, I, I, I looked all over and I found this guy, Jeff Cobb. And he said it in a way, now he did give us some preface that he looked all over and was looking for this kind of guy. The problem is, is that with the vast majority of the fans, we don't know who he is. So him saying that doesn't really do anything. It was like, when the Nightmare Collective had this guy, Luther, uh, come in. We have no idea who this person is. We're not going to be able to get behind someone we don't know. They didn't, then at least gave us a little vignette, a little mini vignette for him, and then had him show up and hit a finish and this, that, and the other. So I think it's a better way to introduce somebody, but I'm not. I'm still not sure if this shocking debut of a person works when we don't know who the person is you you're right and uh because this is definitely geared towards uh, the indie fans the fans who who know who jeff cobb is and and trust me like i am not one of those guys who is super familiar with uh his body of work like i know who jeff cobb is i've watched a few of his matches and uh, I, I've seen his name all over, but I'm still not that knowledgeable of him. They could have done a bit more to build up this guy's credentials when introducing him, uh, like you said, because I'm sure that there's way more people watching this that don't know who Jeff Cobb is. 
it, it, it's better than they've done in the past because they have done some debuts here on AEW that have fallen really flat. But I still think there's some work that needs to be done. Yeah. And I'm hoping the guy's great. And I'm hoping the match next week is cool. And uh, I, I want more talent and all this kind of stuff to go on the show. But okay. I think you're relying a little too much on that that indie crowd that's going to to pop for it when I don't think they they that I, I don't I don't think the crowd of AEW is that informed. I I, I want to say that when this whole beatdown started, I thought because Jericho brought an unopened bottle of the bubbly down to the ring. Hager was holding it the entire time that the beatdown started. Is it wrong of me to think that they were going to shoot the cork at his other eye? Because I was like, they're going to shoot the cork at his other eye. He's going to be completely blind. It didn't I, happen. I did not like think that at all. The fact that that bottle was there, the unopened bottle was there for so long, and then they finally just opened it. And I was like, ah. Oh. That didn't pay off the way that I thought it was going to pay off. You are very intricate in your booking, my friend. Especially when champagne bottles are involved, apparently. Apparently. So that was a that was a, a I think a really good episode of Dynamite. And and I know you've been uh kind of down on I was I was fine with last uh I think last week's episode and then there were some down points before that. Uh, did you think that this was a nice turnaround? This was a good episode. I, I also really liked the uh, the pack. Uh, pack. I'm sorry. I always say pack. Pack. I was fine with the pack vin- uh, vin- vignette. I thought that mm-hmm. was really well done with Omega. I thought that they did a really good job on this episode, and I liked the fact that they pushed the Dark Order thing without throwing it in our faces and making it a huge aspect. So yeah, this is a, this is a good episode. Of, this is a good episode of Dynamite. It was a step in the right direction. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, all right, so I think that does it for uh, the TV that we normally talk about. Um, anything else you want to add? No, sir. All right. Well, thanks everyone once again for joining us. Check out our social media. In the meantime, we're at Miss Spots on. Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to this podcast in one of many different wonderful fashions, such as our website, misspotspodcast.com or simply misspots.com. We're also on all of the major podcast apps, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, tune in any of those services where you can listen to brand new episodes on the device of your choice every Friday, free of charge. For Kevin, my name's Mike. We'll catch you next week. Good night. Good wrestling.